going, going, gone. Non-stop drama in Colombo after protesters forced President Kodabaya Rajapakse out of his home, out of power, and then out of the country. Is the crisis over or is there more to come? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This is episode number 70. Now we're going to go to Colombo in just a bit to my colleague Meera Srinivasan there. But first, let's just get up to speed with all that has happened in just a short week. Much of it on live cameras in a country that saw change at its highest offices through the power of people taking to the streets. In the past week, those protests that we've been reporting on over the months grew louder and more violent. Despite much of the cabinet having stepped down as they had demanded, crowds actually stormed the presidential palace. You saw those visuals there and then burnt down Prime Minister Ranil Vikram Singhe's private home. The visuals were unprecedented, even for a country with so much high security and very heavy-handed security forces. We saw the crowds get everywhere. The protesters occupied the president's rooms, the gymnasium, even the swimming pool. Now, on Monday, President Gurabhai Rajapaksa, who had tried to leave the country over the weekend but had failed, flew to the Maldives. And after protests followed him over there as well, we saw Sri Lankan citizens come out on the streets, he actually took a commercial Saudia flight and went to Singapore. The Singapore Foreign Ministry then put out a statement said he had been allowed entry as a visitor, not granted asylum. His brother, former Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapakse, has not left the country, is overseeing party strategy, we, we understand, but other members of the family are reportedly trying to flee Sri Lanka as well. And then a few days later on Thursday, after missing several deadlines he had put, Godabaya finally resigned. He sent an email and then followed it up with a letter to the Speaker nominating Ranil Vikram Singhe as the acting president, pending, of course, an election in Parliament. The SLPP, the Rajapaksa's party, is still the largest party in Parliament and will be important in any all-party government that is likely to follow this crisis. Now, the presidential elect election is actually expected in the next week where Vikram Singhe then opposition leader Sajid Premadasa, as well as former minister Dulas Alaha Peruma, who could stand, many are saying, are all being seen as main contenders. And finally, talks with the IMF were disrupted by the protests at the end of June. Sri Lanka is now officially bankrupt, and it is going to need that IMF bailout, as well as bridge financing more desperately from any of the countries around that can help India, China, Japan, and others. Acting President Ranil Vikram Singh, who actually negotiated the last bailout for Sri Lanka when he was Prime Minister in the last round, he will be attempting to do this again if he is given the reins of the country. The question now, will protests finally end? And how is Sri Lanka going to tackle the economic crisis and strict conditions that the IMF is likely to impose? And we have, over the last few months, spoken about the kind of condition of people, the kind of deprivations they have faced. But let's go across now to Colombo, to my colleague and the Hindu's Colombo correspondent, Meera Srinivasan. Meera, thanks so much for joining us amidst all that excitement and all that you've been covering over the last few days. Just to start with, tell us, you know, what the crowd situation now is. Also, you have covered so much, you know, sort of uncertainty over the years in Sri Lanka, the post-LTT years, the economic crisis, the political crises we've seen, also many kinds of protests on the street. What made these protests different? There have been several, several struggles that Sri Lanka has seen and 
Importantly, in 2021, uh, just in the midst of COVID, there was this massive rally that Tamils and Muslims took out from a town in the eastern province, Kottubil, to Kolikandi in Jaffna, calling it B2B March, demanding equality, justice, and a political solution, and so on. But this is striking. I mean, this, as they call it, the Janata Aragalaya, or the people's struggle, is striking in its unprecedented scale to start with. Of course, the protests were centered in Colombo, but also had manifestations in virtually every district. And there were pocket protests even before this three-month-long struggle at the site. And they were peaceful. And it's not a monolith, so very, very diverse voices, actors, demands. And the fact that they could all converge in this one demand that Gota must go home. And something like, uh, you know, I suppose the shared economic distress and agony brought them together to the street. So it's unprecedented for many reasons and really striking in its scale and its creativity, the way they went about putting up a tent city outside the president's office. And uh, so many aspects of this struggle have really been something that Sri Lankans have not seen before. And there's also a bit of hope that this could maybe you know, become the starting point for conversations on several old questions and concerns. So in that, this this is really something what we've seen recently. Absolutely. And as you said, there was the Gota Gogama protest, a, a slogan eventually. Of course, Gota didn't go home. He went abroad. So you had a president leave the country. You had a prime minister become becoming the acting president. What happens next, Mira? Is there likely, after all these different crises they've seen, for there also to be a kind of constitutional crisis, given the difference in Sri Lanka between the executive presidency, the prime minister's office, and so on? So uh, senior lawyers here have been putting out, you know, the explanation. I believe the constitution, the Sri Lankan constitution has very clearly laid out the process should such a scenario arise, which is that the president's office falls vacant. And they say that the prime minister is acting president for a very few days, which is what happened today. Ranil Vikramasinghe was sworn in by the chief justice as acting president. And the parliament has to convene in three days, not less not more than three days after the post falls vacant. So we are told that the parliament will meet tomorrow, Saturday, and then schedule this process. And the speaker has assured the country that within seven days, Sri Lanka will have a new president. So this includes nomination and a vote in parliament. So the parliament will have to vote the next president from among its members through a secret ballot. It's going to be quite fascinating and crucial also because of the different maneuvers that are already, you know, happening. As we know, Gota may have stepped down, former government may have stepped down in a sense, but still their ruling party, the Sri Lanka Bodhijanatharamuna, commands majority in the House. And that is going to determine how the vote plays out when it actually happens in the course of the week. Right. And of course, this is being spoken about by so many uh, international observers. So your sense over there, some of the Rajapaksas have clearly tried to leave, including Gorobaya, who's now in, in Singapore. Uh, but many members have not left, including former Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa, his son, and so forth. Is this the end of the road for the Rajapaksas politically, a family that has really dominated Sri Lankan politics for a, a few decades? As you said, uh, in a way, this is a very emphatic message to the Rajapaksas. I don't see very... You know, I don't see their electoral return possible in the foreseeable future because in a way, you know, if you look at the celebrations on the streets today, 
people making kiribato milk rice which which is what sinhalese had when the rajapaksas defeated the ldt in 2009 so it's very symbolic that we are using the same kind of celebration to mark the exit of the rajapaksas that is the kind of anger anger and that is the kind of hate that we see now among people and in a way you know they started becoming unpopular through covid incumbency started setting in early but as uh, professor uyangoda a political scientist from sri lanka wrote for the hindu very very incisive ways he he said that the biggest advantage of the rajapaksas is that they have a very unassertive political opposition that is their greatest political asset now the people also realized that and they took matters into their own hands they didn't rely on the political opposition so in a way they've worked really hard to make this happen in 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 terms of dislodging the rajapaksas i don't see them having the patience or the appetite for the rajapaksas anytime soon all right mira and of course you can follow mira's reporting on www.thehindu.com thanks so much for the reports as well as for your insight mira shrinivasan there from colombo now the question of how new delhi is responding to all of this india is of course sri lanka's biggest neighbor has been remarkably reticent even hesitant to speak really on the crisis the ministry of external affairs has in the last few months issued three statements expressing solidarity with the people of sri lanka but not mentioning the leaders and its reaction to all the high drama next door can really be summed up as a three pronged strategy the first empathy for the sri lankan people this is not just in terms of words but also actions since the beginning of the crisis this year india has been in talks with sri lanka on a range of measures more than 3.8 billion dollars in supplies of food fuel and medicine lines of credit currency swap arrangements and the postponement of debt repayment India has also facilitated aid from Tamil Nadu to northern Sri Lankan areas as well which is being seen quite as a first. The second is a distancing from the Sri Lankan leadership. The relationship between the Modi government and the Rajapaksas has always been a bit of a seesaw, sometimes very close at times and then a lot of distancing. Since March this year however we have seen the government really steer clear of engagements with President Godabaya and Prime Minister Mahinda and any conversation between them has really been behind the scenes. This was most notable during the past week where the high commission issued a strong denial to reports that India could give shelter or safe passage to Godabaya or even his brother former finance minister Basil Rajapaksa saying India is quote not facilitating their exit from Sri Lanka in any manner and the third part to the indian reaction has been to keep a low profile new delhi has taken many pains great pains to be seen as helpful but not interfering during sri lanka's crisis specifically denying reports uh, twice in fact that indicated indian security forces could be pressed into some action or sent in for support the lessons from several decades ago where india was deeply unpopular for the uh, the peacekeeping uh, operations the ipkf operations there still clearly rankle as well as some of the backlash we've seen to india's support to nepal uh, during the earthquake the government is really making it clear it does not want a big brother image in the sri lankan crisis but there's no question that everyone particularly in the neighborhood is watching what happens next as sri lanka's economic distress uh, triggered by the pandemic the russia ukraine war and the sanctions that have followed populist moves by the government and poor policy management have all contributed really to ejecting the leadership from power Now here's what Pakistan's former information minister in Imran Khan's party Fawad Chaudhry actually said when talking about Pakistani protests 
and uh, their plan really to oust the government. Listen in. This is more than this situation is not possible. It will not be possible to give the right to Pakistan. It will not be possible to give the right to Pakistan. ججز ہیں وہ بیٹھ کے بند کمروں میں فیصلے کر دیں کہ آج سے عوام کا آج سے ہماری پالیسی یہ ہوگی اگلے دن ہم بدل جائیں قوم اب انقلاب کے لیے تیار ہے فیصلہ اب آپ نے یہ کرنا ہے کہ یہ انقلاب ووٹ سے آنے دینا ہے یا ہم نے سری لنکا کے طرز کے اوپر آگے بڑھنا چاہتے ہیں Well, startling words there. Earlier in the week, I spoke to another neighboring leader, Bhutan Foreign Minister Tandi Dorji. about how Bhutan sees the situation in Sri Lanka and the economic distress that could have an impact around the neighborhood. Listen. We are learning the lessons from the experiences of our neighboring countries and we are avoiding those mistakes. And the good thing, to, good thing in Bhutan is that we have a very good, very good leadership, starting from His Majesty the King, who is guiding. And uh, it will not allow politicians like ourselves to make decisions based on short-term electoral interests. But we will look at the interest of the nation for a longer term and we will not do anything to compromise the long-term sustainability of the economy uh, in, in Bhutan. Of course, international interest has also been sparked just by the idea of a president on the run from protesters. Gotabaya, of course, didn't resign until he was safely out of Sri Lanka so as not to lose his immunity, escape possible imprisonment. Uh, but this really reminded many of other cases in the past, in the 1980s, uh, the Marcos run uh, from the Philippines, or Ceausescu, the last communist leader of Romania, who actually ran, escaped the protesters, but eventually was arrested and then executed by the military. In the 1990s and the 2000s, many uh, occasions where we saw Pakistani leaders escape public anger by going abroad to Saudi Arabia, to the United Kingdom. General Musharraf, of course, when he stepped down, also then settled in the United Arab Emirates. In 2011, the Arab Spring, so many leaderships changed, many regimes changed. There was Tunisian President Ben Ali, who fled to Saudi Arabia. Hosni Mubarak in Egypt was also pushed out of power by protests, of course, many others like Gaddafi as well, through international interventions. Most recently, we saw Afghanistan's President Ashraf Ghani flee the Taliban and move abroad as well. Now, these are all mainly leaders who left their country. It must be remembered that politicians across the globe, regardless of the risks, often prefer to stay on and face the people's wrath than uh, stay in their own countries and deal with the consequences. So this is really what separates one political regime from another. Now, we've been giving you a lot of recommending reading on Sri Lanka, so I'm not going to add to that except for just a few additions. Uh, to what we said on previous episodes of Worldview this year. Uh, one, if I haven't said it already, The Seasons of Trouble, Life Amid the Ruins of Sri Lanka's Civil War by Rohini Mohan really builds up the situation to the present. Uh, also, Return to Sri Lanka, Travels in a Paradoxical Land by Razin Sali. Uh, that has a, a certain you know, journalistic travelogue flavor to it. On economics, I've been looking for more books, but really a very current, up-to-date writer is Ehlan Kadir Gama. He's at the University of Jaffna. He's been fairly prophetic on the economic crisis. If you read his blog or you find his papers online, you'll find he's been, he's, he's been following the economic situation quite closely, the IMF bailout as well. Then there is a great book on democratic transitions called Dictators and Democrats, Masses, Elites and Regime Change by Stephen Haggard and Robert Kaufman, worth reading. Uh, then some of the leaders I mentioned who had had to leave their countries, there's a book called People's Power, The Greatest Democracy Ever Told. It's actually eyewitness accounts 
on the Philippine Revolution of 1986. This is by someone called Monina Alare, who describes what, what people saw at the time. Also on the Philippines crisis, Diary of a Dictator, Ferdinand and Anelda, The Last Days of Camelot. Uh, by William Rempel. Of course, uh, Marco's back in the news because it is his son who has now won the elections in the Philippines. A book on Ceausescu, uh, the Romanian uh, uh, dictator, the last communist leader, is called Ceausescu in 10 short chapters. Certainly worth a read. And my favorite, which I really do suggest you read, called Revolution 2.0, The Power of the People is Greater Than the People in Power. This is by it's a memoir by Wael Gonin, if you remember from the Arab Spring Revolution in Egypt that saw the end of Hosni Mubarak. Uh, he was one of the lead protesters. So lots to think about and lots to read here on Worldview. Do join us again from the team here. Thanks for watching. Thanks for reading. Thanks for listening in.